they called me in there and I already knew what it was and I'd been using that morning. And once they, you know, were like, you know, you felt drug test for this, this, this. And I was like, yeah, um, you know, I have a problem. And um, at that point I was doing and 15 to 20 perks at 30s a day. Welcome into another episode of Baseball Americas from Phenom to the Farm. I'm your host, Kyle Banduo. On today's episode, I'm talking to Clinton Holland. Right-hand pitcher was the second-round pick of the Blue Jays in the 2013 draft out of a Kentucky high school. Holland's talent on the mound has never been questioned, but he spent just two years pitching in affiliated baseball as a result of a crippling drug addiction that not only derailed his career, but derailed his life for nearly 10 years. I'm going to go ahead and provide a trigger warning for this episode as we discuss some pretty brutal subject matter. Clinton lived as an addict for over 10 years, and that's that's mainly what this episode focuses on. Uh, from 2014, while still with the Jays, to Thanksgiving 2023, Clinton struggled with addiction. We talked about the brutal reality of going from a second-round pick to a homeless drug addict in less than five years. And fortunately, we talked about what has gradually gotten him out of this. I... I saw from afar that Clinton had made a comeback in professional baseball and independent ball in 2021, uh, but I was I was surprised to learn. I only learned when we started recording that his sobriety was very fresh, uh, as recent as, as Thanksgiving 2023. So, um, you know, this is an interview that is a look back and hopefully a look forward. Um, I. You know, I, I say this at the end of the show, but I am obviously rooting for Clinton, but he is still very much in the early processes of this, both trying to get him, himself together for his, his son, for himself and his life, and looking at making a comeback in baseball. But, um, you know, I hope that this is something that that anyone who has, has known anyone who has struggled with this or just finds this story interesting can can take something from this and, and root for Clinton like I'm going to. Um, hoping that he he continues on on this path that he set himself on, and um, that you know whether he pitches again in professional baseball or not, that in ten years he's he's happy, healthy, and sober. But I, I'm grateful that he took the time, and grateful that he was so honest and and upfront with with his struggles and you know a, a lot of the root causes of those. So um, hope everyone enjoys the episode, and uh, you know if if you do, I would encourage you to. Uh, DM Clinton on Instagram and tell him and just tell him you're rooting for him uh, or just, you know, anything like that. So, uh, again, hope everyone enjoys. Uh, if you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, all that stuff. Uh, and also make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. A uh, lot of good stuff coming out of BA. We got the uh, early college baseball and high school baseball content. We got the All-American list dropped as uh, about to be my favorite time of year with college baseball starting. So in always a good time to be subscribed to baseball America. So with that, let's talk to Clinton Holland. All right. Joining in for today's episode from Phenom to the farm. He was a second round pick of the blue Jays in the 2013 draft out of a Kentucky high school, Clinton Holland, Clinton. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Of course. And like I told you, uh, before we started recording, I was I was recommended to reach out to you a, a while back because of your story by someone who I just cannot remember who it was. So if you are that person you were listening, uh, thank you for for helping set this up and, and definitely reach out again. But Clint, I typically start off with the question to, to anyone um, on this show of when did you first realize you'd have a future at the next level of baseball? But I was reading a story about you and it said that you touched 91 as a freshman. So I'm not going to ask you. I'm just going to say, 
pretty early on, I assume you knew that you were going to have some looks at the next level. Uh, yeah, I actually started playing high school ball in seventh grade. Um, it took, um, I can remember feeling like I knew in T-ball, man, really. Um, it was just something in me. I knew whenever I watched the Reds on the TV that that was something that I was capable of doing, um, which didn't really make any sense because I'm just from a, a little small country place in Kentucky, you know what I'm saying, with nobody around me that really uh, – or in my family that played pro ball or anything like that. But I just felt it in my heart that it was something that I was meant to do. And what was baseball culture in, in Kentucky like? Uh, and, and especially as you started clearly showing that you were advanced in the game, I'm sure listeners will be tired of me saying this, but I grew up in Texas where even in the in the 2000s, like travel ball was very prevalent. There was mm-hmm. all those things. How, how did you – how did you showcase your talent and and work work to get better, especially in what is not considered a super baseball rich environment in a, in a basketball state? Yeah, one hundred percent. The time that I was in Lexington, T- Kentucky, though, was like prime. Me, Walker Bueller were on the same team um, at thirteen and fourteen, and then also we had got Anderson Miller, who's got a podcast unfinished um, and was a third round draft pick by the Royals, uh, and we played on the twelve year old World Series team together, and um, and we had like a lot of really good guys in the area. But I think it was really just luck um, that my dad. Um, really was into finding out what would be the best, I guess. I, I didn't really meet my dad um, until I was five. And then once he got me thrown in the backyard, I think he realized it too. And he did a lot more of the work than I did, I would say. I don't know how to, how to put that into words. <laughs> Well, so with that, if you start you start playing high school in early age, you're popping ninety one as a freshman. How early did did college coaches come calling? How early did did scouts come calling? And how how much does that as a fourteen fifteen year old, especially in the era, it was still like you got into high school in the late two thousands. That was before fourteen year olds and fifteen year olds were committing committing to colleges. It was still that was mostly done as your junior and senior. How does does that does it go to your head? Does it give you any sort of like ego about yourself um i'd say it did um and looking back on it i in it i didn't feel it but looking back on it you know i think it did um i committed to kentucky my freshman year um i went to a camp and i was able to talk to them because i was actually on campus um and they asked me and my parents to come back onto campus later on that week and they end up offering me a full ride to SEC as a freshman, um, which is like, you know, bright in the backyard. So I committed and um, and I didn't even end up doing in the NCAA clearinghouse stuff. I was not interested in going to college. Uh, <laughs> so I ended um, my recruit process pretty early. I mean, I remember I got hundreds, hundreds of letters. I mean, from Dartmouth and everything from the time I was a freshman on, but I didn't even read any of them, you know? I so was, you didn't even make Kentucky wine and dine you and take you to an, an SEC basketball game. Cause I was going to ask about that. Oh, I, I got, I got all kinds of those. Um, I was the number one recruit. So coach Bohannon did uh, me all kinds of favors. I got, I saw um, Anthony Davis and Harrison Barnes, like pretty much courtside when Anthony Davis hit the game winning shot against North Carolina. It was, I've got to see, I got all those perks, but I didn't go on any other recruiting trips or anything like that to any of, uh, like I didn't go to Miami or anything like that, which would have been cool. 
So then as you start advancing through high school and, you know, it, it seems like you're blowing people away for the most part, you guys win a state title. When did you start looking at the pro Avenue and then also start realizing I don't really, I don't really want to go to college. Uh, my sophomore year of high school. Uh, that's early. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's pretty early. Yeah. Um, my sophomore year of high school, I was uh, rated number three in the nation by a perfect game. Um, I went down there um, and that was my first year with KBC. And it was really, I mean, I was the only ranked guy on the team. We went down and uh, played at the World Wood Bat in Atlanta against like the Doolin's Dodgers and um, the East Cobb Astros and all that. And they have, you know, nine kids on that team that are on the top 50. And uh, we ended up getting number three, I think. But I went down there and I was touching, you know, 93, 94 um, as a sophomore. And uh, at that point, I knew that that was the road I wanted to take. Um, but also at that time, I was the farthest thing from, um, I'd say, your normal 16-year-old kid who's about to get drafted. I was not like I didn't take it. I was playing baseball because I was good at it. I wasn't uh, like I wasn't a baseball player. I don't know if that uh, makes sense to you. Like I'll, I've listened to a lot of. I listened to a couple of your podcasts, um, just getting ready for it. And I listened to other people describe, um, their process of, you know, going through it and how they're completely in on being a baseball player and the workouts and all that stuff. Everything to me was just, uh, very natural. I did do workouts and had some training and stuff like that, but, um, it wasn't a day in day out, um, grind um which was why i ultimately became unsuccessful in pro ball because i was not mature enough and ready for that i don't think well with that too as if you're not considering yourself you know a baseball player the day in day out and things like that what what were you as a pitcher especially like getting into your senior year mm -hmm. were you were you working on that on the, the craft of pitching at all or were you just just thrown hard and just had the stuff coming out of the right hand oh dude i was very for, for whatever reason god always put me in the right position and i had great people around me um my high school coach was jeff parrott uh once i moved to wolford county i moved from lafayette um with my dad um my sophomore year and then um, i moved to wolford county um my junior year and then bounced back to lafayette and back to wolford county in my junior year, the year that we won the state championship um, and stayed eligible, which, you know, shouldn't have really been possible. I don't know how that happened. You know, we didn't cheat or anything like that. It just, you know, it worked out. Um, and then um, the craft on the mound, I was, um, I, I, he, he blessed me. I was able to, I was always a pitcher. I was never, I threw hard, but I was, I always had four pitches. Um, even out of high school, I didn't throw the change up as much coming um, out I had, in high school because I sped guys up because um, I threw so hard. Um, but I was always working on my craft um, at pitching because I love the game of baseball. I just didn't consider myself a baseball player. With that, as you're getting into the end of your senior year and you've you've kind of decided that you want to go the pro route, how much did you know about what pro baseball is like, what minor league baseball is like, what's required of its athletes, what the living situation is like, what how like of the if 
if being fully, you know, fully prepared is a hundred percent, what were you looking at as a, as a high school senior? Nothing like zero. <laughs> um, I was not prepared at all. Um, did you know that you would have to go into the farm system? Like five I, I, levels? I did, did you know there were I, five levels? I and did stuff? know that, but I thought that they were going to, I thought you would get treated better than you did. Um, that's for <laughs> sure. Um, and the Blue Jays ownership was different whenever I got there um, and within a couple of years. Um, Alex Antopoulos was the owner and uh, or GM, I guess, um, and the ownership. And they switched um, a couple years in, and it was a very good switch for the Blue Jays, and that's why they're having the success that they are now. But whenever I first got there and the guys that were right um, in front of me did not have um, the top flight um, – you know, eating and, and just aspects of pro ball that other teams did have that I know other guys that were in um, other organizations that they did. And, um, and me being immature and not ready for that. Um, it was just, uh, uh, downhill quickly, you know? Well, let's talk about how you landed with the Blue Jays in that pre-draft process because you were, I mean, you were one of the top prospects in the in the 2013 draft. Um, looking at your BA scouting report, a lot of the on-the-field looks good. There were makeup concerns and then also concerns about your UCL. So as you're navigating that that pre-draft, especially you get kind of that, that month before, um, you know, in, in the May-June time frame, what were your conversations with teams, with your advisor, like – did you have any idea of how the 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 draft worked as well? Uh, I I didn't. I figured out very quickly. Um, I I couldn't stay off Twitter. I was immature. I was uh, I was uh, tweeting song lyrics and you know and Chief Keith and stuff like that. And it was just man. He had I, he had a moment back then. Yeah, that was man. that was right into it when <laughs> yeah. he showed up. Yeah, <laughs> but if you know if you're familiar with his lyrics, you know it's not anything that you want your. Uh, a draft pick that you're about to give a million dollars uh, tweeting and and people didn't know that they're song lyrics um, and they think that I'm really portraying this lifestyle. Um, so it really, um, I got a, a different rap than um, than what it was and um, and where I did start throwing so hard so young, I was able. I, they had a lot of time to pick me apart, you know, like from 15 on and from somebody who didn't have um, a parent who had been through this process and stuff like that. I was just, you know, going out there and trying to be a normal, you know, kid and make mistakes and stuff like that. But it was on a, on a, under a microscope. Um, but that draft process, uh, man was wild. Uh, actually the blue Jays sent in a guy to like, do like a psych eval with me pretty much, um, to make sure that I wasn't, you know, what they, had thought it was and he went in and said i was you know great makeup all that stuff because you know i'm not a lunatic <laughs> uh even though the things i've done you know um i am a pretty good guy um and so he ends up saying that i was completely fine and uh they got to draft me but um that night was the state champion or the state baseball game in lexington so i decided to go there and the texas rangers were going to draft me two picks before um so the texas rangers area scout comes to my house uh with my dad and my stepmom i'm at the baseball game trying to get back there and 
for whatever reason, the Blue Jays end up picking me two or two picks before the Rangers were going to pick me. Um, so my dad and stepmom watched me get drafted to the Blue Jays with the Texas Rangers scout when I'm not there. <laughs> so it uh, pretty much just uh, awkward night for that guy. Yeah, that just pretty much you know encases the whole process of leading up to it. If that makes any sense, man. Um, I was ineligible. Um, the, when we won the state championship, I, I was ineligible for all of the season other than, um, I think, the last eight games um, because I had six Fs in five classes um, because I was just um, pretty much not going to school. Um, and I'm the number three player in the nation, maybe one number one in the nation at that time. Um, and I've got to send out emails to all these scouts telling them why I'm not pitching um, because I'm being an idiot. Um, so then I have to go in and you're able to have one F, um, but I had six and five classes because they kicked me out of Spanish. Um, and I worked my ass off um, to get back um, for those final eight games. And then we go on a run and uh win the state championship um the first and only one in school's history and um really i give all the credit to my teammates because they had all kinds of pressure on me uh because of me and people saying that we weren't they weren't going to be anything because i wasn't playing and they went out there and won every game but like three <laughs> and then we go on um to win it and they they really grew together without me um so it's kind of just a cool situation that came to that um so it's, it, it sounds like you get things together at the end of your you find a way to get on the field mm -hmm. you get drafted you get through all that you definitely get drafted later and take less of a bonus than if things would have all been buttoned up but once you you sign on the sign on the dotted line, what are your what are your expectations for yourself at at that moment? Do you have a big league timeline? Do you have any idea of what what you can be or, or you know what the next what you're hoping the next couple of years look like? Uh, I got sent back home after they signed me. I got sent back home because of the UCL um, was partially torn, so they didn't know if they were going to sign me. So uh, I was originally going to get like 600000 which is still only half of the slot. Um, and then I would go down to from 600000 to 400000 And within those couple of weeks, I come home and um, I'm not touching a baseball. I'm not doing anything um, other than, you know, a lot of stuff I shouldn't have been doing. Um, and then so they end up deciding they're going to sign me. I go down there and it takes me about a week um, of throwing until they let me throw in a game. And then I go out there and I shove. I throw 12 straight innings, haven't picked uh, uh, 12 scoreless innings. Um, they move me straight up to Bluefield. Um, and I throw decently well up there. Um, but after, I think after the first outing, I don't think, um, I don't know. I just went, it was a different situation than I thought it was going to be. We were in just a really rundown old motel that, and it was just, uh, and I got homesick. I was, uh, and I just, that was the turning point of like, oh man, this stuff is not for me at the, right, right then. And then, uh, that off season comes very quickly after that Bluefield, um, outing, just like two, two outings in Bluefield, I think. Um, and then I go home and that first off season, I don't touch a baseball until the next spring training. 
Um, what did you What did you spend your time doing? And I assume I assume your your check had cleared at least part part of that bonus had cleared by then. Oh yeah, um, I bought a El Camino and uh, I mean smoking pot and doing dumb stuff, man. Uh, and then uh, the next year I go down there and I'm just out of shape. And, you know, it's, it's just a difference, um, in the mood around me. Um, and I can feel it. Um, did you personally. feel a personal responsibility to, Oh, I should have done something differently. Or at that time, are you just like, I will, like I always have, I will figure it out. Uh, no, I, 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 I was just that in that time now looking back at it, I can see I was just mentally done and just in a dark place. I don't know, just, uh, maybe depression and just mental and just self hate, hatred and sabotage because like, I knew I should have been doing more and, um, and I wasn't, um, and I felt responsible for, uh, my family and, um, uh, stressed and I knew that I wasn't doing the right things. And, uh, and it just compiled, um, of like, okay, well, it's never going to, it can't get any better. Like you're not going to like, it's, it's never going to get any better than this. Like you're going down, like why, why are you going to be the difference? And this is even before you got, you had Tommy John. Yeah. This is, this is, this is before I had Tommy John, but this is uh, the reason that I'm going to have Tommy John is because I was just out of shape and I didn't do anything. Um, I was, you know, I was probably 40 pounds out of shape. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I was, wasn't even 18. I was drinking. I, I, looking back on it, I didn't know I was an alcoholic at that point. Um, but I was a, I was an alcoholic and a drug addict at that point. Um, I was a dr- alcoholic and drug addict in high school, um, that didn't, that was just high functioning and I didn't know it. When does you, you go through, you go through TJ, you have, you have TJ in the spring of 2014, you make it back physically on the, on the mound. You, you pitch in 2015 and pitch to to success at what point do you do you turn into not a high functioning addict and turn into a full a full-blown addict um during that off season um i have my son i have have a son and um when i was 19 um and that off season so after tommy john surgery i go down there and i'm get i get in really good shape me and jeff hoffman are uh are working out together the blue jays um you know eighth pick i think at that at that time um and he had tommy john coming right out of college um and so me and him were locker mates we're running together i'm in great shape and then uh my son is about to be born so i go home and uh just going home was the worst thing ever. I should have gone home for like my son and brought him back, um, like down to Florida or something. I don't know. But, um, just going home was a, was a terrible choice for me. Um, because then I got into, you know, I already had a prescription for the, the painkiller cause I just got the Tommy John surgery and stuff. And then just bad people around me, you know, and, uh, like, Oh, it's pretty much the same thing. Da, da, da. And then I had, I got that first one and I loved it, man. Um, the perk set 30 is what I got hooked on the first time. Um, and, uh, but during that whole off season, I went to, um, do my physical therapy and stuff like that. And I did just enough to be able to throw. I didn't do, I wasn't 
I was going in there and doing the physical therapy part of it. I wasn't working out. I wasn't doing, you know, any of that part. Um, really. Were so. you able to hide your addiction from the people around oh, you? Oh uh, yes. Yes. Nobody, nobody knew I, I was, uh, have you ever seen the movie blue mountain state or the show blue yes. mountain state? Sorry. <laughs> the um, I was doing oil changes like that castle trying to beat, uh, test, you know what I mean? So that's how severe it got for me. <laughs> So in 2015, you you pot you stop you fail some tests mm -hmm. and you you get suspended. At what point did did you acknowledge or at least tell tell the Blue Jays like, hey, this is this is actually a problem? Um, I'd say it was after I guess after the first one, and then uh, they called me in there and I already knew what it was and I'd been using that morning. Um, so I go in there and uh, Gil Kim, um, who he was with the Rangers whenever uh, they had Josh Hamilton, so. Uh, and he had known me from Perfect Game and Baseball America and stuff like that um, in high school. Um, so I go in there and already, you know, knew what it was about. And once they, you know, were like, you know, you failed a drug test for this, this, this. And I was like, yeah, um, you know, I have a problem. And um, at that point, I was doing I think, 15 to 20 perks at 30s a day. And with that, I mean, um, you know, that was the last affiliated ball you ever threw in 2015. Mm -hmm. How? Very short run how fast did everything go off the rails to where you're, you know, at that point you're functioning to the point of at least like showing up to the ballpark and, and pitching. How fast did your life completely derail? I very quick after that. I mean, they kept the blue Jays kept me around for a while. They did not want to release me. Um, like I stayed, I was with the blue Jays until like 2017, I think. Um, they didn't want to release me. They tried to help me. They sent me to uh, treatments and stuff like that. I just wasn't ready um, to do it. I would, you know, fake it and, you know, do what I had to do to get through the program and stuff like that. And um, I would throw in instructs games and I threw well and all that stuff, but and then bam, another one would come down, another one would come down because they would drug test me every, you know, couple of weeks. Um, and then there was a, you know, during the off season, I come home and uh, I'm supposed to be doing an outpatient program, um, and reporting back to the blue jays and stuff like that and i'm just not doing it um and then uh so sam um uh, the therapist for the blue jays is calling me and calling me and i'm just not answering gil kim's calling me i'm not answering him i'm just completely you know ignoring my bosses pretty much um and then uh they finally get a hold of my grandmother actually and my grandmother calls and they're getting a hold of my outside family, getting them to call me. And I finally call them back and they were like, you know, what's going on? Da, da, da. And I talked to them and tell them everything. And then they're like, okay, well, well then we pretty much have to release you. And I was like, all right, I understand. Did that impact you at all at that point? Like, was that, no, was I was, that a bummer? I was, so, I was so done. I mean, I was so done. I knew, I knew what it was, but yeah, I mean, it, it impacted me. It made me go deeper into my addiction and my depression, but it didn't affect, it didn't have any impact on the baseball life of it. That was already, that was already so far gone and dead um, within me. I never, at that point, I never, you know, saw myself touching the baseball again. Um, but I went from that um, to, and then I went down to treatment in uh, Florida trying to get clean from the Percocets um, and end up becoming a heroin addict. Um, and uh, I was an IV heroin cracking meth user. Um, and I overdosed, you know, 14 times over a couple of years. Um, with that, how are you, how were you, were you spending your time doing anything but using? Oh no, no. Yeah. Nothing. No, I, uh, I 
abandoned my role as a father. Um, I was down in Florida. Um, you know, I abandoned my family, you know what I mean? Everything, you know, nobody knew whether I was alive or dead. I was, you know, living off of insurance treatment, no money, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, a terrible, you know, terrible person. And with that, I mean, I'm, I, I'm not an, I'm not an expert in addiction. I've listened to stories and things like that. A lot of, from my understanding, it has to be, it has to be want to, if you want to, if you want to make that change, um, you know, you're four years removed from a state champion, second round pick now a full blown addict. Where did, where did any sort of want to, to, to pull yourself out of this in any form or fashion? come from was there a single was there a single moment was it gradual like how do you how do you even think about being serious about sobriety because it sa- it sounds to me as if all the treatments you went to all with the blue jays and whatever was, was not a legitimate effort to to get sober for yourself no not, none of them were for myself ever they were always for somebody else or for the blue jays or for my son or for our family um it's it's been slow and gradual man it's taken until well, very recently, you know what I mean? For me to have the desire to live life and like on life's terms, you know what I mean? Cause that's really what it is. It's, it's the desire to not live life on life's terms. I don't like to deal with consequences that I create or, you know, that life has to give me. Um, so it's been very slow and very gradual. Um, I, it took, until from 2017 to 2020 to for me to like kick heroin uh what was the first step what was the first the first baby step of maybe i want to do something other than do this all the time i'm i was tired every time i I used i died and um the last time i overdosed in my bathtub the day before my birthday with my son in the next room and i was just the the selfishness that that takes to put my pain on to other people and to could have you know scar them um and the pain that i have caused to people and the scars that I have caused people, you know what I mean? Um, it's just so selfish for, uh, for me to be that weak to, you know what I mean? Not care. And like my pain is more important than, than their happiness, I guess. I don't know. So you have that moment. What, what is next? Like, what do you, do you check into another treatment facility? No, no, you, Cause I, it's, it sounds like it wasn't one of those cold Turkey, I I'm off where, you know, where do you go from there? Yeah, no, uh, no, I went from, uh, I, I had to go from being a, a needle junkie to, you know, smoking it to snorting it to only doing, you know, it every once in a while to only doing uppers and not doing the heroin and, you know, and then I was just drinking and I was drinking myself into oblivion. You know what I mean? I'd drink a, gallon in two days you know what i mean and i'm trying to hide it so i'd you know drink a pint in 20 minutes and then black out and you know just be a person that nobody wants to be around 
Um, and man, I just got tired of not remembering hurting people and, and, and having to apologize for shit that I didn't remember. What was, what was the first time you had, like, how do I, how do I phrase this? Like a, a good, a good memory during that time or something that wasn't, was not just a drain on you emotionally or drain on the, on the people around you. Like, when did you start to have moments in life that weren't clouded by substance or, um, associated with guilt or like when, when did like you see light? (laughs) Uh, Thanksgiving (laughs) just recently. It's, it's wild that, that you asked me to, to do this podcast and like how I've, um, the the change that has been very recent it's been it's been slow and steady for years and then these last three months man it's like just boom and um i don't know what it is but it's like god is in me right now and everything that i do um it's been for a reason it's working out um and like i said i don't know why you uh message me or anything like that but it's been everything's been good i don't know it's been i mean that's one that's awesome to hear and but two also comes as a surprise to me because you did make a comeback in baseball in 2021 pitching it pitching an indie ball walk walk me through that because you went from a guy who was never going to pick up a ball again to a full-blown drug addict to someone who is gradually making their way out but i had read it as an outsider as you were you were through the fire as much as you can be as an addict. What was what was twenty one and what was getting back? What motivated getting back into baseball? Um, COVID. Um, I had a drunken rant um, about the twenty twelve uh, state championship team and how that we were the best in K- Kentucky history. You know what I mean? And then uh, this guy Ron Fusey messaged me and was like, "Hey man, chill out." But uh, you know, but text me tomorrow. Uh, and then he texted me and, uh, he was like, man, I believe in your talent. Da, 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 da. Um, and he actually has an agent or is working with an agency now. Um, uh, but he's like, I believe in your talent and all that stuff. So, and then I started working out and stuff, but it, I could, I couldn't stop drinking. was my problem at that point. It was like, yeah, I kicked the heroin and the drugs and everything, but it was putting a bandaid on a bullet wound. You know, like I was, I was just masking um those things so i was one foot in one foot out and then uh so that's the problem with and that's why i got released from the gateway grizzlies and from um the west virginia power was because um i was drinking and then i could not not continue to drink and i drank um going into the clubhouse and then um at both in both occasions were you any semblance of the picture like were there oh, any glimpses of oh yeah who, who you were in 2013 oh yeah man it's 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 still there i mean um my first outing with the west virginia power i got up to i think 95 um and i mean if i came out of the pen right now and 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 at that point i was in no type of shape like i was literally just getting off the couch you know what i mean like i, I was posting on instagram acting like i was working out but i wasn't like it was like you know what i mean it was just bs <laughs> So with that, you're still, I mean, you're not, you're not old. 
you uh you were in high school less than you know or i guess 10 no, years, 10 years ago. ago god time flies but yeah <laughs> i mean still you're not, not not 30 if i have that correct no i'm not 30 yet i just turned 29 um but i'm in by far the best shape that i've ever been in this is the first time i've ever worked out like i started working out right at the perfect time and i was like you know honestly if I just continue to do this and like a winter ball situation um, came up next year. I would love to do that. Um, and really my goal for it, like it's not even to make it back to the big leagues or anything like that. It would just be amazing if I could have a good season or two and just like have that off of my chest, like to where I can look myself in the mirror and not despise, you know what I'm saying? What I see half the time, you know what I mean? And feel that regret. Um, and then, you know, and then be able to get into like coaching and be like a baseball lifer, man. Cause I have like, not to two on horn, I have a, 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 a skill of telling kids or, um, you know, younger people how to move their bodies and, and to where they can actually get the results that I'm getting, that I'm, that I'm looking for, you know, or that they're looking for, um, because it doesn't matter how much information and good information that you have if you can't put it in the terms that they understand and make their body do it to get the result that you want. Um, so I would really enjoy doing some coaching. Um, and I'm thinking about doing some remote coaching. Um, there's a guy uh, on Instagram who Nick uh, Novelli, I think is his name. Um, and he does some remote coaching and stuff like that. And he's teaching people how to get into that. You mentioned when you were in high school, you only did baseball really because you were good at it what is your relationship to baseball now? It's I mean, it's still the thing you do. It's still the thing you have a gift for. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I always, it, I, I was saying that I loved baseball. It was it just, I wasn't a baseball player. I didn't want it to be a job. Like I love the game of baseball. You know, I, I, my favorite baseball player ever is Ryan Friel um, from Cincinnati Reds. And it's not because he was the greatest baseball player, it was because of how he played the game. He loved the game. And then, like, my favorite football player is Heinz Ward because he always had a smile on his face. And that's how I always am with baseball. I'm, and I have, like, an infectious smile and a kid-like mannerisms out there because I do love the game of baseball without any shadow of a doubt. My problem was once it became the job of it, but I have taken the game of baseball away from me more than anyone else has. And nobody's ever told me, you're not good enough. Give me that jersey. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> ever. And which is a sad reality that I've only played that much of adult baseball in my life because of my own actions. Um, so that desire to be able to walk away from the game and not feel cheated or like I cheated it kind of cause like, I know my ability um, would be nice. So if I'm playing, I want this for you, but if I'm playing devil's advocate, if I am the GM of an indie ball team or even an affiliate or whatever, why should, you know, if, if you get all the way back physically, why should someone sign you mentally? I mean, there's a thousand reasons not to, and I, and like I said, I'm, to the point where I'll tell you every reason not to. And that's the difference because I would always lie to you. I'd try to spin this web of, you know, I'm better than I really am. And I'm willing and honest to say that it's only been three months. So it's, <laughs> it is a scary thing to say that I won't go back to doing those things, but the change in me right now, anybody that 
is close to me and around me will tell you that I'm a different person, um, right now. Um, and it, it truly, my aspect for it is, is my fear of life. I've just now recently, like the last couple of weeks started like thinking like, man, like just how much time I've wasted. Like my son's nine now. And I'm like, man, I only got as old as he is now until he's 18, like a grown, like, and I'm just like feeling like I'm getting that, uh, what's it called? Uh, that midlife crisis, I guess, where like you contemplating death and like, you know what I mean? So I don't know, man, I'm, I'm hungry. So, I mean, that would be the only thing. Uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell anybody to do anything because like I said, I've, if you were to ask anybody, I, they'd probably say not to other than the guys that I've played with. Every guy that I've ever played with knows who I am. Um, and even coaches, you know what I mean? But, I don't know, man. I couldn't. I couldn't give you a, a great reason to, other than you'd be getting more than you think. <laughs> I, I don't know. You'd be getting more than than you think. So, in these three months, what guardrails are you putting up within your life? Like, what are you doing to to maintain success? I just ha- I don't have the desire to live that way anymore. I there there's no. I don't. I, I can't put myself in those situations anymore. I won't put myself in those situations anymore. I, I have no desire to, I don't, I mean, I guess little things are, you know I mean? I, I do prayers now and I, you know, I don't listen to rap songs that, you know, put things in your head that, you know, music that you listen to really does affect, well, it affects me, I guess, you know what I'm saying? My, emotions and stuff like that get affected by things I listen to things I watch you know what I mean I'm even I'm easily swayed I guess um in those ways in my emotions um and seeing something on tv it looks you know I mean it looks like oh yeah that beer looks good or whatever so I try to keep myself out of just those little small things um but really man it's just there's been so much pain for so long in my life that I'm just so done with it you know what I mean I'm just so sick and tired of being sick and tired so just i'm done (laughs) is the best way i could say what do you want out of the next you know you you spent you know almost 10 years as an addict what do you want out of the next 10 years of your life i want to be able to say that i impacted people around me in a positive way that's my biggest thing i like i love helping people um and I feel like I'm good at it and people um, relate to me um, in a way I've got, like I can relate from everybody from, you know, millionaire baseball players to the drunk on the underneath the bridge, you know? So I just want to be able to truly tell my story um, in a way that can help people and, bigger ways than I can if I'm just, you know, sitting on the couch and keeping it in, I guess. I don't know. Well, this, uh, this podcast is a start to that. Um, Clinton, I'll tell you, like, I'm really, I'm rooting for you. I came into this thinking that, yeah, I, I wasn't, wasn't sure what to think and like knowing that this is, this is fresh and new for you, but I'm um, congratulations, uh, for, you know, for, for these three months and, I'm hoping, you know, we can reconvene down the road and it's been a year, it's been five years, it's been 10 years and, and you get the things you want out of life and, um, thank, appreciate you joining the show. Uh, 
you know, that that's all I've got for you. And uh, I look forward to, to seeing what life brings you in the next 10 years. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you. You got it. And that's it for today's episode of From Feet on the Farm. Huge thanks to Clinton Holland for stopping by, walking us through his journey, and wishing him the best on the the next 10 years of his journey. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Rate and leave a review for an Apple podcast. And make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. We'll catch you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. <laughs>